Hi, I'm Sarah, and welcome to the We Should Be in the Kitchen podcast, a podcast where my friend Liz and I talk about all of the things we usually talk about at our weekly Sunday lunch. These topics vary from the hilarity of day-to-day life to theology, from how adorable our dogs are to the nuances of faith and life in this interesting cultural moment, all from the perspective of two women working in ministry. We might not get to share a meal with you, but you're always invited to this table. On today's episode, we have Liz's cousin-to-be Maddie on, um, and we're going to talk about the book Tattoos on the Heart. Um, Tattoos on the Heart was written by Father Gregory Boyle, and he works exclusively with um, gang members, and it's a very cool book about um, boundless compassion, and so we're excited to have this conversation today with you. Um, So as always, good to have you, and pull up a seat. Well, hi, Maddie. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So, Liz, how do you know Maddie? Or Maddie, how do you know Liz? Whoever Ooh, wants to answer share. Ooh, different answers. Um, I'll, mine's shorter, so. Um, <laughs> my cousin Alex went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, and he met Maddie there. And they're getting married later this year in May. So, that's how I met Maddie. <laughs> that's how yeah. Maddie is coming into our family. Now, Maddie, here's your chance to say all the things about Liz's family. How do you feel about marrying into this ragtag group of crazies? I'm I'm excited. I come from a very small family. I'm an only child, and so it's just me, my mom, and my dad and I. Oh, that's me twice. Um, (laughs) So I mean, when you're the only child, you think that you count twice, probably. You essentially do, because that's how how much you're focused on. (laughs) Um, So it's really fun to get into a family that is so just like lively and has so many people in different moving parts. So Except I like all, it. You can't tell by my voice, but when we all get together, we're really loud. Yeah, yes. I know that. Like really loud. <laughs> I, and we have like 10 conversations happening at once mm-hmm. and all of us are involved in every one of the conversations. Yeah. So just a lot. Yeah, we're I've a been lot. to a few family events. Mm-hmm. Um, I too have a very small family. So yeah. it's, you know, my parents, I don't really have a relationship with. And mm-hmm. so it's really just my 80 year old aunt and uncle and me and like some distant cousins. And so, yeah, I sort of feel that same when I'm around people who have a lot of family. It's really fun, but it's also like, we were talking earlier before the podcast about how we're both Enneagram twos, but both sort of introverted. Mm -hmm. And so after an event like that, I have to retreat and Mm -hmm. be silent for a while. Liz is sitting here having (laughs) (laughs) the cat to the cat. cat. (laughs) It's fine though. Sorry, Liz. Her eyes are swelling shut as we speak. (laughs) So Maddie's here from Southern California, and she has a bridal shower tomorrow, which is super exciting. Which she's so excited about. She's so excited to be the center of attention and having us all look at her. It's one of her favorite things in life. Oh, I love it so much. I I thrive on it. No, It's it's where the the only child meets... their personality of not necessarily liking all the attention. <laughs> yep, yep. So there's a there's a little tension there probably. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. gonna be fun. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Our family does fun things, so Yeah. And Liz is emceeing it too, so she'll like make You're it emceeing <laughs> a bridal shower? Yeah. Yep, I'm the announcer. I didn't yeah, know that that was a position in a bridal shower. It is. That's... I have done this at multiple bridal showers. What? Yeah. <laughs> You're like the DJ? Just like the one who says what's happening next. And I can oh. basically make it up as I go along because no one ever has a schedule. Well, <laughs> but I, don't I bet know. there'll be one tomorrow. Some people My aunt is like pretty organized. Pretty, really yeah. organized. Sometimes, sometimes people aren't. So I just, it's usually the same flow. Like I have a 
pretty good idea what everything's going to go tomorrow. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've heard a little bit about what's happening, and it sounds like it's going to be fun. So. Did you get to pick any of the things? Uh, I know Michelle texted me asking me what kind of cookies I wanted, oh, yeah, and she like, showed me a couple of pictures, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I like that one. She's like, okay. She was so. making tester ones last week. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, Michelle's quite the baker. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. That's awesome. So, I know that. Yay. I know a couple of other things, but I'm excited. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's sort of nice to not know, because you just yeah. get to show up. Yes. Yeah. And be it's the person. party for you that you didn't have to plan. I know. That you is great. to come Especially I'll like enjoy. in the wedding planning process, it's mm-hmm. you have to make so many decisions that it's nice to just ha- not have to make any decisions yeah. and just show up. <laughs> See, I still had to make the bridal shower decisions at one of my bridal showers. Oh. <laughs> my aunt threw me a bridal shower, and Liz is seriously oh, dying. No. Liz, Do you need I a tissue? Hair in my <laughs> it's probably a cat, cat hair. hair. Cat hair in my I actually did that on purpose. I I, <laughs> did. I took anyway. the cat and I rubbed it all over the house today <laughs> in anticipation of you getting hair. I knew it. Just just to be mean, really. It'll go away eventually. Oh my goodness. That's like if you rubbed calamari in my eye. I'm allergic, <laughs> I'm allergic to calamari. Because that's a normal thing. I mean, it's a normal. Rub this calamari in your no, eye. You rub a calamari in your eye. Mm. Thankfully, they don't have hair dander because that would make life complicated. Um, but at my bridal shower, I my aunt like asked me, she's like, what do you want? And when I said what I wanted, she said, no, that sounds terrible. <laughs> oh. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and so um, one of the things is I didn't want a cake. I wanted cupcakes. Mm. I was really into cupcakes when we got married. and um, That was a thing. A it was a thing for a, a while. Years ago, everyone wanted cupcakes mm-hmm. and not cake. Right. Yep. And like right now, I think the theme is like donuts instead of cake. We're doing donuts. Nice. But, <laughs> but we had donuts on our first date, so like we're like oh. tying that into it. Oh, so that's super cute. Yeah. We have a romantic donut story too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, when um, I worked in radio, <laughs> Liz is rolling her eyes. I'm sorry. <laughs> romantic um, donut story. Yeah, sort of. So when I was working in radio, I worked really late at night. And it was Matt's birthday when we had first started dating. And so I got off of work after midnight mm-hmm. and I stopped at a gas station. And I bought him a donut and got to his house super late. He was asleep. Yeah. And I was like, it's a birthday donut. And so every year at midnight, mm-hmm. we have birthday donut. Oh, now. yeah. And so we have a little like donut mm-hmm. thing. But um, so comedian Dustin Nickerson um, tweeted something the other day and he said that cake is terrible. Like mm. that... <laughs> Yeah, basically, like... He likes to do those things, right? Yeah. This is terrible. Yeah, that nobody really likes cake. And cake is, is sort of substandard. It's not the not the best sort of dessert. Would you agree with Are you a cake eater? I enjoy cake, but it's not my favorite. I'd probably yeah. say either, like, cookies or ice cream are, like, mm. the best desserts. I do like and ice cream. combined. Like, oh, like, you like a pizookie? Like, uh, that would be the best. Yeah, dessert. I like ice cream if I'm going to pick something. Or, like, a cobbler. Oh, yeah. Something that isn't... I like fruit rather than so sweet. Yeah. So a cake is just too sickly sweet for me in a lot of ways. Liz will eat anything with sugar. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Except I don't really like tiramisu because it has that like, espresso flavor in it. Alex and I just don't like tiramisu. it. That's <laughs> probably my yeah. favorite dessert. And so there's more for you because I don't... <laughs> but you don't really like ice cream that much either. Um, You're okay with it. I'm okay with it, but I don't have ice cream in my freezer. Mm. Nessie loves ice cream. So we always have it on hand at my mom's house or at Michelle's house because she has to gain weight. So we're like, whenever she asks for it, we give it to her. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. I was with um, Eleanor, my friend Jenny's <laughs> daughter the other day, and we had Chick-fil-A and my husband and Jenny's husband, John, each had a milkshake. And Eleanor was like, milkshake? Like we didn't get her one. And we just sort of felt bad. But the whole time she was like, milkshake? Like sadly eating her chicken. <laughs> like, oh. 
Ouch, oh, shake. No. I know. She could have thought she was Matt's kid. <laughs> Just kidding. She's not Matt's kid. That'd be weird. <laughs> but you do like mint chocolate chip ice cream. I do. I, I also like Rocky Road. Rocky Road's good. Mm-hmm. If you like nuts and ice cream. And, and marshmallows. Vanilla. Yeah. It has yeah. marshmallows too, right? It has marshmallows. Yeah. yeah. I, it's the it's the chunkiest of all the ice cream. <laughs> Perfect. I like it in a milkshake, though. Oh. Mm. I know. It doesn't really make sense. It does sort of not like make any sense. Sand in the bottom. but mm-hmm. So you're not having cake at all. You're just having donuts. Uh, yeah. We're going to do like a small little couple's cake just yeah. for like the cutting like ceremony. But for the most part, we're doing donuts. And then we're also going to have um, cookies and little like bars uh, as well. Just like kind of grab and go things. Because yeah. at that point, I feel like people don't like to really sit down and have another course of dessert. So. Right. Yeah. See, our whole wedding reception was dessert. So we did a 7.30 at night wedding and then it did a dessert bar. So we had like chocolate fountains and cheesecakes and brownies and mm-hmm. cookies. And, oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, it was really cool. My husband loves sugar <laughs> so much, so much. He, he, um, his favorite thing, I've probably talked about this on the podcast, but he loves peanut butter. I, I do not like peanut butter mm-hmm. at all. Um, but he will take a spoon of peanut butter and dip it in sugar and Ugh. eat it. Oh, I don't he says it tastes like a peanut butter cookie. Really? Yeah, I guess. I'm going to have to go home and try that. <laughs> See? She would try that. Oh, my goodness. They're like Buddy the, Buddy the Elves. Yep, yep. So we have something else in common. Hmm. We're both twos. Yes. And then my husband's a six. We're talking about the Enneagram. <laughs> random. We're twos, not in looks. I mean, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> Take a um, turn. You're going very two. And then Liz is a six. Mm-hmm. And you think Alex might be a six or a seven. He's either a six or a seven. We kind of go back and forth. We're trying to identify him right now. We're currently thinking he's a seven <laughs> with a wing six. Yeah, I think there's an Enneagram thing where twos and sixes mm-hmm. just are compatible somehow. I don't know. What do you think, Liz? I don't know. Do you have other, t- like, two friends? Yeah. Well, my mom's a two. Right. She's my friend. <laughs> Actually, That's I don't, cute. I don't have a lot of other friends who have really taken the Enneagram. Yeah. Like, outside of where I work. Because um, it's not... <laughs> I mean, unless you're, like, into that thing, it's not something you're going to do. Yeah. Um, but Michelle's not a, a two. No, Michelle's she's a nine. A, she's a nine. Mm-hmm. Wing one. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, I don't know. we'll see. I have to start asking more people. It's not something that I bring up places that I go. What's your number? <laughs> what's, it's what's the weirdest pickup line. Yeah. The weirdest pickup line. Can you just take this Enneagram test for me right now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. So, um, I wonder what my brother is. You should take it. Oh. A four? No, he's no. not a four. He's not a four. I don't know. Let's have him take it. He Maybe won't. he'll be he on He won't the... take it. Does he not because like those kinds of things? Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. You might get a really interesting wedding gift from Alex because the family wedding gifts are interesting, right? From well, Alex? I mean, not a wedding gift. Yeah. So, like, there's a the, the bride and groom exchange, yeah. exchange gifts. Yeah. My brother okay. gives. So, <laughs> so, when David and Michelle uh-huh. got married, David got Michelle really nice jewelry. Okay. And Michelle got David. Can't even believe I'm saying this loud. <laughs> the box set of DVDs, the series of DVDs for Mama's family, and he oh my goodness loved it. He yeah. went crazy over it. He was so excited. Okay, Mama's family. So who knows what you'll get from Alex? 
Yeah, you never know. There's like some weird family stuff. Hopefully you get jewelry. We'll just all (laughs) cross our fingers. But you should get him him something very abstract. Something very. Did you even know that that was a thing? I did know. I did know that. But But now I love giving gifts as evident by Ah, me bringing a gift to this. Yeah, we will talk about. Um, But I love giving gifts. It's almost like a sport to me. And so. (laughs) Me too. Do you like getting gifts? Not so much. Same. I love giving gifts. <laughs> oh my goodness, we're so much alike. It's is that true. A true thing? I think I don't know if it is. I don't know. Yeah, but, but does your mom giving, like giving gifts? Yes. So two years ago, I was like the gift person in Liz's family. Like everybody yeah. was asking me what to get each other, and so I was like orchestrating everyone's gifts, and yeah. that was really fun for me. Alex has coworkers that haven't met me. They're like, oh, can Maddie help me with my gifts for the holiday season? It's a thing. Uh-huh. I do that a lot for people. People go, well, what do you think I should get this person? Mm-hmm. And I can figure it out. I'm like, well, what about blah, 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 or I, I'm like, tell me all of their interests, and then I like stalk their social media, or I... find them. Yeah, and I go, huh, I think this thing, and it's... I think it should be a marketable skill. Yeah. We should start a business. Ooh, I am so down. What if is? I can just buy gifts for people all day. <laughs> right. With someone else's money. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, I think that goodness. is a skill though, isn't it? Like a personal shopper. I don't know. Is that a business or a nonprofit? Because I feel like it's providing a service <laughs> to people. But technically every business is providing a service. True. But so is every nonprofit. Hmm. How do you dif- differentiate the two, Liz? You don't keep any money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't keep any of the money. You get, you get money from your nonprofit. So basically, it's business. I'm just I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I think we should do it. Yeah, Look, I'm in. We just started a business right now. Perfect. This is awesome. So down. what did you bring, Liz? Liz, where is it? It's over there. What'd you get? Because we moved. So today <laughs> on the podcast, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite books, Tattoos on the heart. Sarah does not have her copy in front of her, but Maddie and I came prepared. Wow. <laughs> but one of the things that um, Father Greg Boyle started was in Homeboy Industries down in L.A., and Maddie got me a mug from there. What is Homeboy Industries? Well, let's read on the back of here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's really a, a place where um, ex-gang members or people who are looking to just get you know, better their lives can go, and they um, provide, you know, job readiness type things, internships. There's a bakery, there's a screen shop, all these different industries and different um, businesses out of this one place where people can come, and um, they do tattoo removals, they do um, rehab type stuff, um, kind of to give someone a whole, the opportunity to really change their whole life around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that a good description? Yeah, that I sounds so. great. Yeah, so I read Tattoos on the Heart maybe three years ago, my pastor gave me a copy of it. And I was saying earlier um, that I like sat in a, I was in a hotel room when I started reading it and I just started crying um, over the amount of compassion. And so um, Gregory Boyle, yeah, he started this, this organization when he lived in LA and saw a need to, um, to reach local gang members who were on the street um, and to give them an opportunity to do something other than, (laughs) just being in a gang or other than selling drugs. And so um, some of the stories he tells. Now, I will give you a fair warning about the book. Not that I feel like it needs a real warning, because if you're a human who's not super snotty, you should be able to read a book (laughs) that talks about messy situations and maybe uses language that you wouldn't use, because that's Mm -hmm. um, true to the stories of the people that he shares about. But I definitely recommend this book to anyone who wants to learn more about um, being compassionate and seeing people beyond their worst choices. 
um, in life. Maddie, when did you first read Tattoos on the Heart? I started reading it over winter break because it got assigned um, as one of the books for my grad program right now. Okay. So and where are you going to school? I'm going to school in Southern California, and I'm getting my master's in college counseling and student development. That's awesome. So it was assigned for my diversity class, and since my uh, school is a small Christian college, we have um, the faith component in our master's program, so our professor really wanted us to read this and like look at what compassion looks like um, in a non-traditional population that we might like be working with. So sure. Yeah, she told me she was reading it. Um, she, oh, I just asked about, I mean, it was a couple of months ago. Yeah. Like, oh, what did you read, you know, for your, for your grad, grad school? And she said, oh, we just, I'm starting Tattoos on the Heart. And I was like, I love that book. And mm-hmm. she was like, you've read it? And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was actually like a nerd because it was this, this class that I just finished is diversity, but we had a class with the professor before winter break. And she mentioned that we were going to start reading this for class when we came back from winter break and I was like, I want to read it now because we get so much homework of readings and different things. I'm like, I want to have time to like dedicate to actually read it and enjoy it. So I actually read it over break before school's even started. (laughs) So it was really good. No, I was just like, it sounds so good that I want to dedicate time and like actually enjoy it. So yeah. So the subtext on the book is the power of boundless compassion, which, um, that like speaks to my heart so much. Um, one thing that I very much value is being people who um, who extend compassion rather than judgment to others. And so it's interesting. I had an experience this week. Um, so my background is I grew up poor on the east side of Lodi, and so I often joke that you know if Liz was around when I was a kid, I would probably be part of her program. Um, but sometimes people don't know my history and they say things about, um, poor people or people on the East side, Mm -hmm. not realizing that what they're really doing is talking about me, you Mm -hmm. know, like like I grew up this way and, um, you know, through a series of events have sort of changed the path of my life, um, with the help and dedication of others. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I always say God had provision on my life. And so, um, I have a different perspective. Like I didn't come from wealth. I didn't come from privilege. I didn't come from a lot of the things that a lot of my friends came from. And I think that there's a way to wield that privilege Mm -hmm. um, in a way that can really extend compassion to others. And so basically I overheard a conversation where somebody had used the word inept um, speaking about um, people who aren't super well-versed about financial things. Um, Like this specific conversation was about like writing checks. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've never written a check in my life. And my history is my parents didn't trust banks. Like that was a thing. I don't know if that's a a poor people thing. (laughs) Like I I really don't, I don't know um, where it came from. But they would like cash checks at like a corner store Mm -hmm. um, and did everything with cash or money orders. And so I was never taught how to, do any sort of banking and I didn't even get my first bank account until like right before my husband and I got married um and I had to ask him for help because I didn't know what I was doing and so the people who were having this conversation weren't talking about me in particular Mm -hmm. but nobody wants to feel like they weren't taught Mm -hmm. the things or that they you know don't have knowledge nobody wants to be inept nobody wants you know Mm -hmm. it's it's embarrassing and so I sort of piped up and said well you know, be careful using terms like that because not all of us were taught those things. And I never quite know how, um, how much to speak into that. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be that person who always makes some comment or whatever, but that, I don't know what, for whatever reason, 
like just mm-hmm. just bugged me. And the person was well meaning. They were just talking about a situation. It wasn't meant to be, yeah. you know, a big a big thing. But I think about this whenever we talk about people who are different than us um, and the experiences because it's so easy for us in our and, and I have my own privilege now as somebody mm-hmm. who no longer is in that situation to where it's easy for me to maybe judge without knowing the background yeah. of a story. So somebody had tweeted um, a couple of weeks ago that something like her husband was counseling a kid who who stole hundreds of dollars in candy and was selling it and he got caught, you know, for, for stealing all of this candy. And when he was pressed about the issue, he said that he started to sell it because he thought he could help his mom pay rent. This kid was 11 years old, you know? And so it's easy to see sometimes the behaviors of people, um, without knowing the story and make really quick judgment calls. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I hear about an 11 year old stealing candy so he can help his mom with rent Mm -hmm. and I don't put the crime part into it. I'm like, holy cow, this kid was like trying, like doing the only thing he thought he could do to help his mom. As an 11 year old being an adult, you know, to help pay for rent. Right. Steal it to buy a new pair of Jordans or whatever. Or drugs or. Right. Yeah. It was to help, tangibly help his family. Yeah. You know. And the, the, her caveat was like, sometimes the bridge between our judgment and our compassion is just knowing the backstory. Mm -hmm. Um, And Father Gregory Boyle does that in this book Mm -hmm. where he, he doesn't just share you know, these are these are people with felons, some convicted murderers. I mean, people who um, he he talked about. I listened to his talk at Pepperdine. He did this talk at Pepperdine, but I listened this morning, and um, he was talking about like how many people he's buried. It was like yeah. 187 mm-hmm. um, like gang members that he's buried, and these are not just gang members; these are people that he um, had a relationship with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so Liz, you sort of do a little bit of this, like you work with um, people who are easily judged. Yeah, well, it was just reminded me of... So I'm reading this book with some ladies from my church. We just finished um, David Fitch's book, Faithful Presence. Yeah. Um, and this is just a good tie-in with that because a lot of what he talks about is just <clears throat> being that faithful person, the person who who shows up day in and day out, believing that if, the, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, that wherever you go, yeah. you can... You bring that you bring that with you, and if you pay attention, you can see what God is wanting you to do in situations. Whether you're at Starbucks by yourself, whether you're at work, wherever you are, that the Holy Spirit is alive and active. Um, and so this is was kind of the companion that I thought would be great for this group of ladies. Um, and we just finished um, this chapter a couple weeks ago. On, it's on compassion. That's the title of the yeah. chapter. And he says, "Here's what we have. Here's what we seek: a compassion that can stand in awe at what the poor have to carry." Rather than stand yeah. in judgment at how they carry it, um, which is hard because that's not what we're really taught. Um, it's easier to just judge people, um, yeah. like, well, they clearly put themselves in that situation, which maybe some of them have, but then how do we then help them carry some of that burden? Yeah. Well, judgment um, costs us nothing, right? So you know, we get to just stand in our situations that we don't, you know, right. understand and mm-hmm. throw stones at someone. But compassion requires us to enter into their story and extend yeah. understanding. And so that costs us yeah. nothing. Um, and so it's just, I mean, I hear stuff too around town. Even, you know, you can't trust anyone who lives on the east side. People say this uh, as I walk by yeah. and I go, I live on the east side of town. Um, well, I don't trust you for sure. <laughs> I don't lock my doors, so I'm fairly Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just, it's learning how to shift that narrative even in my own mind. Cause my first thought a lot of times is the judgment part of like, mm-hmm. because it's just how yeah. 
not even how I was raised, but just the, that's the lens that I've had my whole life, you know? And so for the last five or six years, retraining myself to not just look at the situation, but to think, what is the backstory here? Yeah. Why is this happening? What do I, what do I already know about whether it's a student or a family or whatever? Like, who do I know? Then why did, why is this situation happening? You know, but then right. I can back out and go, Yes, that situation was wrong. What they did was wrong. Whatever it may be. Yeah. But the compassion side of me is, you know, maybe that student didn't have parents. Yeah. Maybe that student was, you know, tossed around from person to person, you know, avoiding CPS. And, right. you know, so survival. It's, it's, they're in survival mode. And yeah. so they did this out of survival. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that, what you know, whatever it is, is wrong. Yeah. Um, but it just gives me the heart and the posture now to, to pray more fervently. Yeah. Not just... For that situation, but for that, the individuals involved. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Maddie, you were talking a little bit about how um, Father Boyle, his his big thing is kinship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think of when you think of the word kinship? Let me find. Um, let me find it. I wrote. I was rereading this chapter um, on the plane up here this morning. Yeah. Um, and one thing really stood out to me that I wanted to like circle back to. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here it is. So he talks about um, kinship and the fact that it's not serving others, but being one with the other. Mm. Jesus was not a man for others. He was one with them. There is a world of difference in that. And to me, that just is a very good definition of what kinship is. It's not this idea of one person coming in and being like, let me like bend down and help you, but really like coming and meeting them in it Mm -hmm. and being one with that person. And just like, that's what we're called to do. Um, and I feel like kinship kind of has a lack of um, understanding in current society. And so it's nice to like have a chapter on it and be like, no, this is what it's actually supposed to be like. Yeah. Like we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And so we have the shared humanity. Mm-hmm. And because we share this humanity, um, it's not about us giving and someone else receiving. It's about engaging in the human experience together. Yeah. And that's really mm-hmm. cool and interesting. How do you think that applies to like what you've chosen to do as a career? So even as like a college counselor, there's yeah. there's a bit of um, you have to extend some understanding. Oh yeah, um, for and, sure. and and not necessarily view people just as projects, right? Like oh, as, yes. as yeah, it's so important because when you have a student walk into your office, you have never met the student before potentially, so you have no idea what they're bringing to the table, what their previous experiences are. Um, I actually just finished a class right now that's career counseling, um, and I did a workshop on um, career counseling formerly incarcerated students, and so like really like understanding their story and like not having judgment on their past experiences because society is so apt to only see their sentence and like okay let's like see how we can support this individual and like work with them to like really develop their like individual goals because these people that he talks about that um father greg talks about in the book too like they have their past they have these issues um these like monsters in the closet if you will but he doesn't see those things he like talks at one point in the book of he always goes to um hold mass at these different um prisons and always hands out cards afterwards saying no matter when you get out where you get out here's my number and I will help you get rid of those tattoos and get that job, um, which I think we're definitely called to do with working with our students is right. like no matter what um, their background is, just to meet them where they're at and support them and do whatever we can. Yeah, for them. that sort of reminds me of the um, 
uh, Glennon Doyle quote, there's no such thing as other people's children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of kinship, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to say, to point fingers and say, well, those kids are those kids or those people are doing that. And, and really, we all bear responsibility mm-hmm. um, just as a society to support other people for the goodness of the whole. Yeah. Um, so one thing, like one story in the book is about this guy who comes to Father Boyle and he says, I don't know why, but I can't, I can't get a job. I keep applying to places and I can't get a job. <laughs> yeah. And he has a tattoo that says F the world <laughs> like across <laughs> his forehead. Funny, yeah. And he's so funny in his talk. He's like, gee, I wonder why. Let's, you know, do yeah. the math. Maybe, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not even at McDonald's do they want you to like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have, um, this tattoo. And so instead of looking at the problem and saying, well, well, of course that's the, mm-hmm. that's the issue. What did he do? He did something. He said, Oh, well we let's go to a doctor and try to figure out who can remove this tattoo for you. And mm-hmm. so it's seeing the barriers that maybe people have, um, even if they've chosen them for themselves, like, mm-hmm. like clearly, but you know, are we going to reduce people to the worst decisions they've ever right. made is, mm-hmm. is Greg Boyle's whole yeah. kind of spiel is, is we're more than our worst choice. Especially because I think if we do that, then we're always saying that we're better than everyone else. When truly, right. all of us are one bad decision away from losing it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of us are. Yeah. No matter who we are, what we do. I mean, we could just make that decision and just, you know, lose it all. Right. Um, and so for us to always say, to reduce someone down to that one moment, that one instant, mm-hmm. you know, that means that the rest of their life meant nothing, you yeah. know, and that's not true. That's not what scripture teaches us. That's not what, you know, well, I mean, that's how, not even what God sees in all of us is that one decision. He sees the whole person. You right. Know? Mm-hmm. And how prevalent is that talk? Like, um, or that, that, um, that saying like play stupid games, win stupid prizes. It's sort of this, you know, judgment of, well, that's sort of what you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in Christ, we don't get what we deserve. And so how can we be people of restoration? How, how do we apply that to our everyday lives? Um, yeah. And, and that's something that I have to, it can't be passive. Like yeah. that's something that I have to think about all the time is how do I bring restoration to this situation instead of just more judgment or more dysfunction or more like, how am I a person of Christ in this mm-hmm situation and I'm not perfect at that in fact I'm very bad at it (laughs) Um, well well, I think that's even just kind of what you were wrestling with earlier of when you were overhearing that conversation yeah of um do I say something do I not but you rose to the occasion and said like no this isn't something that I'm just going to passively sit by and I'm going to give while it seems like it might be an uncomfortable conversation it's showing a certain level of compassion towards those people to educate them. Sure. And be like, you might be, you might want to be careful of what you say. Like this comes across a certain way. Yeah. So. And, and again, I think that people don't always mean mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, so this Sunday we're actually um, in church talking about James chapter two. And so it talks mm-hmm. about, you know, how you treat the poor. Yeah. Whew. And that's, it's hard. Um, like in California, we have a huge homeless yeah. issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but homeless people aren't issues, they're people. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of easy to just view um, everyone and lump them into the same situation. But most people don't really want to live on the streets. But, you know, if you're a drug addict and can't get help or you have mental illness, what are you supposed to do? And so um, when you look at something, sometimes collectively is a problem. So you could say gang violence, you could say immigration, you could say yeah. the homeless, whatever. Insert hot topic right. word right there. And yeah. you reduce people to an issue mm-hmm. almost doing into a category yeah. yeah you heard him into a category this is who you are right and who you are is inconvenient 
to who yeah. we are, right? Mm-hmm. So like immigration, like who you are and what you're doing is so inconvenient to us. And homeless people, we have to see homeless people and it makes us uncomfortable. So it, it all becomes about how these issues affect us and not about how these people are affected by mm-hmm. these issues that have caused them to um, be in the situation. Liz, I feel like has something yeah. she's reading. I am. <laughs> I, I, know, I just love this book and I have dog-eared too many pages. That'll be the whole thing. Um, it just kind of goes along with that. Um, the, the story at, um, on page 108, if you're following <laughs> along with us, um, he's talking about a guy named Jason who um, was a gang member, turned his life around, had a daughter, and his daughter was going to get baptized. Um, and he had, you know, and he was pretty high up in, in, in doing this stuff. But it says, the next morning on the way to a job interview for a better position, Jason was gunned down. Someone sh- drove by, saw him, and perhaps all his past had become present again. I buried him a week later and baptized his daughter at his funeral mass. Water, oil, flame. I landed on the gospel that I wanted to use at his liturgy. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. I like even more what Jesus doesn't say. He does not say, one day, if you are more perfect and try really hard, you'll be the light. He doesn't say, if you play by the rules, cross your T's and dot your I's, then maybe you'll become light. No, he says straight out, you are the light. It is the truth of who you are, waiting only for you to discover it. So, for God's sake, don't move. Don't need to contort your, no need to contort yourself to be anything other than who you are. Jason was who he was. He made a lot of mistakes. He was not perfect, and his rage called the shots for a goodly chunk of his life. And he was the light of the world. He fit the description. Well, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean it's just, you know, when you boil someone down, I mean, you could easily have, you know, pinned him as you're a gang member, and that's who you will always be. But yeah. God also says you're the light of the world. Right. You know. We can also go back to the origins of things like gangs, Mm -hmm. you know, when you, something that I've said to you a few times is, um, like joining a gang isn't that much different than joining a church Mm -hmm. and it sounds crazy, but it's this, this family, right? If you grew up in it, this is what your parents did. Mm -hmm. This is what you believe about family and loyalty and goodness. You belong to this group of people. So you have belonging. How is that different than what I believe. Like, I would lay down my life for Jesus, right? That's what we say. Mm -hmm. These are people who, in their brain, even though it's not healthy and not correct. It's a distorted view of that. Right. It's, I would lay down my life for these people in this Mm -hmm. belief about what loyalty is and space. And when you look at it that way, it's the one thing that I can, like, relate back to myself is, Mm -hmm. you know, why did I start going to church? Yeah. You know? For belonging, mm-hmm. and I had for, these people who were loyal. Yeah, and for yeah, for the I was gonna say for the community, like mm-hmm. as I mean, you guys talked about on a previous podcast, like as great of a church can be, you have so much connection um, to great teachings online and all the different services, yeah. and so the main reason that a lot of people go to church is to like have those friendships and find those community like community aspects. But if you have like the gang's the exact same way, like they're looking for that connection. Like they could be coming from a broken family right? or um, just not have everybody currently present or they just yeah. want that was like those connections. Well, this is just normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To them. yeah. Some, for some of them, it's the norm. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is what, what you I grew do. up my, in. My uncle did this. My dad did this. My brother does this. Yeah. I'm, I'm part of it too. You know? And so it's, it's almost it's like a, a job. It's, it's like yeah. a yeah. Like profession that gets passed down. Right. And so how do we break down those structures? You know, 
that's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that Greg Boyle talks about a lot is how he doesn't work with gangs. He works with gang members. Yeah. Um, because gangs aren't going to go away. Like, this is going to be a thing mm-hmm. forever. All you can really do is is pour into the lives of of people because the gang structure is and just And it's costly. Thing. I mean, we and, talked about this, too, yeah. that really it's costly to... It's easy to... It, I mean, we said this a couple minutes ago. It's easier to judge somebody, judge mm-hmm. somebody than to help them carry the, the load and the burden that yeah. they have. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with, you know, with really any aspect, and not just gangs specifically, but with any situation the more costly thing is for you to invest your time yeah and you know and to trust that over time right god has done something yeah well i see that same thing with like pro-life issues you know if everybody who who says that they're pro-life actually did something about being pro-life they actually took a pregnant mother in crisis into their home if they um volunteered at their local pregnancy help center if they sought out those relationships and supported and loved people the abortion rate would go down. The problem is, again, it's easier to sort of have this moral um, edge and say, well, I believe this and therefore um, I'm moral, but but what are we actually doing? Like, yeah. how are we actually... And, and not to say that that's an easy thing. Um, these are all things that, again, cost us mm-hmm. something. Like, it costs Liz to live in the neighborhood. You know, it costs some sleep sometimes and it costs yeah. some peace of mind um, when you live in a neighborhood where there's shootings um, and where you're people that you work with get arrested and, you know, it it costs you something. And so I understand people who say, you know, I won't move my family into that area of town because I want them to be safe. Mm -hmm. Like, I I understand it. Mm -hmm. But that can go back to, like, the idol of safety. And so are we ever really safe? No. Mm -hmm. Like, what do they say? Like, none of us are getting out alive. Like, that's a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so... How do we put our faith into practice when we believe this about humanity? Like, I believe that everyone was created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Do I treat them that way? Mm-hmm. Do I view them that way? Yeah. Um, and I think one thing that Father Greg does really well in the book is when he has a um, gang member come to him and say, like, I need a job. Like, they want to kind of change their ways and live a like honest work um, paycheck they um, come to him and will say like I need a job and one thing that he does time in and time out throughout the book is saying like okay well you're gonna have to work with this person and this person and this person yeah from rival from gangs. rival gangs are you okay with that because I'm not gonna cater yeah. to any kind of thing where this gang works here and that gang works there yeah, like right. you have to like Be able come to along along you don't have to like each other but you need to like be civil and not create your issues and they always say yes, which is something that was always really surprising to me. Um, But then also throughout those stories too, time in and time out, they'll show that those people who are from rival gangs actually come together. And I think that's a really important thing that Father Greg does of just like showing that um, like his, like, how should I say this? Um, How to be like Jesus and say like, yeah, I recognize your past, but I call you to be like this yeah. and to like, you don't have to love each other, but you have to act compassionately towards each other. Right. Well, and then it's sort of like they've seen this example of kinship mm-hmm. and now they're emulating it, which is so interesting. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. here, you know, they have this guy who promotes this peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and he always talks about how, you know, he's not doing them a favor. He gets something out of the relationship mm-hmm. with them as well. Yeah. Um, and here they see an example of that. Mm-hmm. And then they see, like, they get to know people instead of 
they get to know each other, not not as rival gang members, mm-hmm. but they have the shared, we're working together, and mm-hmm. then they get to know them as a person and realize that, mm-hmm. you know, they've had to keep this hatred or this feeling in their heart in order to to demonize them, right? Yeah. But then mm-hmm. when you get to know somebody as who they are, mm-hmm. it's harder to hate them, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so, so mm-hmm. that breaks down, mm-hmm. you know, all of these walls. Mm-hmm. There's a story even in the book where they talk about this one... Um, I think he works for the, like this, the, where you print shirts. Screen. Screen print. print. Yeah. (laughs) I forget what it's called. Silk screen? Silk Silk screen, yeah. I think Um, that's the title of the company. um, And he, it was Thanksgiving, and he, you know, his family's not around, and so he had invited a bunch of his coworkers over, and they were all from different (laughs) games, and they cooked a turkey. None of them ever cooked a turkey. (laughs) And so they said, oh, we did it ghetto style or something. Yeah. And it was just like with butter, salt, and lemon or lime on it. (laughs) Yeah. And... Um, Father Greg had asked, you know, so what did you do in the meantime? Like, we just sat and watched it cook for hours. <laughs> but it was just, you know, this story yeah. of, you know, they'd all gotten to know each other through working together. Right. And they were all from, you know, different gangs. If it had been, you know, three or four years earlier, that would have never even been possible for them to sit and watch a turkey get cooked, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. together. But here they were doing it. Um, one of the, our newest volunteer with where I work, um, he... We had been praying for someone who would come and work with our gang students or students who are associated with it or just kind of wannabes um, because it's really outside the scope of what um, we can do. I mean, yeah. I I mean, I know them. I yeah. say hi to them. I, I mean, I, they grew up with me, um, but they, you know, because of other situations in their life, that's what they've chosen to do. Right. Um, but it's just outside my scope of knowledge. And I, as a white, blonde-haired <laughs> woman, I can't just walk over to this group and be like, what are you guys doing today? You know? Right. Um, and so we, this guy had approached my coworker at a taco truck. He works with the Salvation Army here in town, but he had talked about his story a little bit and how he had been jumped in a gang when he was nine. Yeah. I mean, the story is like crazy. Um, his dad is the one who did it. Like, um, gave him his first tattoos was his father. Like, yeah. Right. Um, Again, it, it's like a legacy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he had been in jail and when he started mentoring, people um he kind of turned his life around he discovered that every one of his mentees was someone from a rival gang Mm. every one of them and he said you know at first I was really like upset about this because I'm not supposed to associate you're conditioned right but then you realize we're the same yeah (laughs) I'm the same like we have like we're the same person yeah all these things and you know the to realize that his mentees from these rival gangs were now becoming his friends because their stories were the same, right. you know, the same situations and everything. So that kinship and that belief that we are made in God's image and that someone's worst decisions don't define them. I think that's, yeah, that's something that we, I'll speak for myself. Maybe I need to condition that out of me. And that's something that regularly I have to, to think about like, no, this, you're not going to judge this person based on this one thing that they've done, which is hard because yeah, whew, that's just hard. Um, but to see the whole person and realize they're not just that one mistake. Yeah. No, I think that's, again, so important. One thing, um, I worked at Youth for Christ when I was like in early college and I would help teach anger management at Juvenile Hall of all (laughs) places. And I met this kid, George, and I'll never forget. Um, He was, you know, he was in and he was super curious. He wanted, you know, he didn't want this thing anymore. He wanted to get out. He wanted to do better. Um, he would read every book that I brought, you know, he was, he was like the kid who 
didn't want to live this life anymore and wanted to change. And so he got out and I was super happy. You know, you can't like maintain any sort of contact. There was no, Mm -hmm. um, whatever, but I was so glad. Like when I showed up one day and he wasn't there, it was like, yeah, he did the work, you know, and he was, he's able to get a second chance. And then like three weeks later, he was back in and I was like, dude, like what in the world? You know, you wanted this so much. And he said, Oh, I stole my mom's car because you know, my dad is an abuser and was beating me and they wouldn't let me go to school and all of these things. And he goes, the only way I can, you know, go to school and, and basically not be abused by my dad is to be here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, people here love me and I have friends here mm-hmm. and, and all of this. And I just, that shook me so much. But, but again, like, we don't know why people make the decisions. Like he literally stole a car, not because he was being rebellious, but because he wanted to be taken back to a place that he found um, was safe and he could get his education and he could well, do where he found that. his family. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it's a very dysfunctional, not healthy way of doing right. things. But if you yeah. don't know any better, like these are people who have mm-hmm. not been taught any better, mm-hmm. you know, expecting people to just make choices without, you know, other opportunities. What, what do you expect of them? And then that ended up sort of just becoming a, a fairly normal um, story of kids who would say, yeah, I, I'm safer here than I would be mm-hmm. at yeah. home. You know, for the most part, people who get into trouble or have behavioral issues or whatever, you know, are a product of mm-hmm. something, you know, they're, they're a product of their raising. There's a pro- they're a product of abuse. They're a product of, mm-hmm. um, and even the word product feels whatever. Um, but have experienced, yeah, they've experienced abuse, this, this trauma, thing. All whatever horrible thing and, it has been. Right. And without having people, um, look at you with compassion or believe in you. Like mm-hmm. that was one thing for me is growing up, like, you know, I had a mom who was very emotionally abusive and didn't believe in me. Like she would just say things that were horrible to me all the time. And you, you believe what your parents tell you. And yeah. so, mm-hmm. um, particularly like family things, if mm-hmm. someone's calling you worthless every day, well, you're not going to feel like you have very much value. So why would you apply yourself? Why would you try? Why would you do these things? And so, um, again, my own experience has led me to at least try to, um, try to look at people in a different light, but it's hard. Um, so Liz, I mean, you do the work again, like a lot. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that to be whatever, but you know, it's easy for me to say it's it's different. Um, it's different for you to say because you also came from a place that was not that way, right? And now you have to actually do the work. Of, <laughs> I actually have to do the work and not just say I'm going to do the work of doing it, right? Um, yeah, and it's hard. I mean, there are. I mean, even last night I got a text from my coworker who asked me what was going on. I wasn't home, um, but in front of my apartment, it looked like two of our students were getting arrested. Um, and we don't know the situation. We don't know what happened yeah. um, yet. I'm sure I will find out because <laughs> the neighborhood mm-hmm. chats. They're, they talk a lot. So, um, Liz gets all the news. I do. Um, so, it, I mean, it's just, you know, so if, if that did happen, and I'm not saying that did, cause I don't know yet. Yeah. They're minors. So Nothing yeah, will ever be you reported. Really know. Um, it's not only talking with them about it, but not judging them, and really helping them see the decisions that they're making. Yeah. You know, you chose to do this, and this was your result. Do you want that to happen again? Okay, then are you, we going to change what we did? Then you know, yeah. And really letting them make those decisions. I can sit there and pinpoint, well, you did this and this and this, so the cops picked you up. But that's not helpful to somebody. Right. You, know, you have to really walk with them through and say, you know. What did you, what did you see happened from your view? What, what happened and listen to the whole story and, um, 
it doesn't get easier <laughs> to yeah, do that. Right. Um, but you do get to see, like you said, um, some of those decision-making things happen, you know, yeah. where in the moment you can see that they're struggling, like knowing that this is what they want to do, but that they'll see their result, but they actually do this because they didn't want that to happen, you know, and um, going with what you should do and what you want to do sometimes are two very different things. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. one cool thing that you do is, or you've done, is you've had kids who grew up in your program then intern. Yeah. For the program. Yeah. Which is so restorative to me. Mm-hmm. It's sort of this full circle, you know, I believe in you. And so you can do what I do. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's what Jesus did. Right. To yeah. his, with his disciples is he was like, now go and do what I do. Yeah. And well, so, it's fun because they're finally old enough to do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> when you work with elementary kids, like when you, when we started out, we had a, the biggest group of like third and fourth graders. So I've, I've had to wait until they became <laughs> 16 or 17 years old, you know, yeah. to be able to talk with them about it but it's been that's been really fun to just see and then that also holds so much more value I feel like to the younger students Mm -hmm. to see this person that has come through the same background that they have and be able to say like the student who's now 16 or 17 years Mm -hmm. old being like I was you yeah I speak the language yeah and being like here I am you can do this too yeah I think it's very powerful I've said this like from the beginning of my job is it would give me no greater joy than to hand the keys over to one of our students who grew up through the program who wants to take it over, who, you know, is qualified and has just done, has done the work, but now they, they're even going to be even better than I am because they grew up in that neighborhood. They yeah. speak all the languages. Those are they their read, people. They read all the signs. Mm-hmm. They're, it's that people to be able to say, it's yours. See you later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And I love that. Just this idea that you can, mm-hmm. you can work yourself out of a job. In yep. a good way. Like you can, you basically, no. Isn't not, that the whole point? <laughs> well, yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. I mean, it is, but how often do our egos get in the way of, um, of what God could really do? I feel like that happens to me all the time where I think in my own power, um, that I can do this and I can do this and nobody could do it as well as I can. Right. Yeah. And, and really that's not true, particularly when it comes to reaching people with different backgrounds and stories than what we've experienced. Like, like the people who speak that language, there's a certain, so um, again, when I worked at Youth for Christ, we had a gang member or a former gang member on staff. Um, he had spent years and years in prison. And then he came to us and said, hey, we um, like I I want to help mm-hmm. kids in gangs. And so he would routinely go to juvenile hall. But um, we did these things called Point Break. And it's where we would do like school assemblies. And the whole point of the school assembly was to like try to relate to one another and understand one another and to understand ourselves more. And so... Um, he would give this this talk at every single point break, and you know you're talking like it's it was like every sophomore, every or every junior, like in the school district we, we worked with, would um, come to these days, and they were fun. We played games and did things, but there were two two things where where kids were silent and focused, and so one was this thing where it was called like cross the line, and so it was like if you. Um, grew up and you didn't have two parents, like your parents weren't together. If you grew up and you didn't know where your next meal was going to come from, if you, you know, and kids would step forward and forward and here their classmates would have to watch them walk forward. Like, wow, I didn't know that they've gone through this thing. Mm -hmm. And then the kids who would step forward were able to look to see the other people who had gone through um, Mm -hmm. what they went through, which was always really powerful. But then the next thing was Jack speaking. And so, you know, he tells the story about growing up in gangs and then he talks about, which the first time I heard it, I just sobbed. It was, a terrible story, but he talks about how he got out of prison and he went to visit his grandma and his, the rival gang had found out that he 
was over there and did a drive-by shooting and his grandma was sitting on his lap and was shot and like 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 he tells the story that like you know she was shot to death like in the head and how her blood was like in his mouth and here like you know it was his fault that his grandma died and you could hear a pin drop in a room of high school kids you know and, and how powerful and how you know it's it's the most tragic story to this day that I've ever heard um and I just the kids who in that moment struggled with gangs like they were the ones afterwards talking to us saying I don't want to do this anymore and talking to Jack and saying you know I, I want to get out of this because I don't want that to be mm-hmm. um me or my life and so hearing those stories from people who have been in it like I don't have a story that way like I don't have a story about former gangs so how, how do we um make sure that people who have been in situations like that have the opportunity to then share their stories um, to actually help the future generation of, of kids going through that same thing. And so um, that's something I always think about is how can we mobilize those people? Like, hey, your story has purpose and, again, can contribute to this this uh, reconciliation of um, what we've gone through and what we can prevent other people from going through. Mm-hmm. I think by hearing those stories... And giving those opportunities, we as God's people become better. Right. Because we can hear the stories of our brothers and sisters. No matter what this, the story is or the background is, you know, we become, I think we just become better. Right. You know, in our understanding and in our, in our patience with people. Yeah. You know, I th- which I think we need to work on a little bit. We're not very patient with people who are yeah. different than us. Right. Um, yeah, I think those are all really important things. Yeah. Good discussion. Really good discussion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good book. I definitely... Yeah, pick it up. He has another one, too, called Barking at the Choir. It's the follow-up. So yeah. Which is really good. Which is very good as well. And I just wanted to point out, it feels like when we talked about this book, it sounds like it's like 500 pages long. No, it's um, actually pretty short. It's 217. No, that's acknowledgments. So it's even less than 217 <laughs> pages. It's 212. So it's a very quick read. It's a quick read. And, and it, yeah. it feels like he, he's just telling you stories of yeah. page after page after page. Which yeah. mm-hmm. It's really good. It's really so. good. You should definitely read it. And yeah, um, this week, I think a good challenge is just to, when you hear things that are, you know, that make you rush to judgment to sort of rethink what the backstory is. Like, I think that's a good way to sort of start applying this idea of radical compassion mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know, instead of right away thinking the worst, think, huh, I wonder why this person may have behaved that way. Or I wonder why they would have made this choice. Or, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I think that that's just a really good place to begin mm-hmm. if you haven't had to sort of enter into those hard stories. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. So. Good book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maddie, it's so good to meet you. Nice to meet you. Oh, I feel like you. I already know you as because I've been listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I missed lunch today. You guys went to sushi without me and I'm so sad. But, but you're still on keto, so yeah, can you eat things keto. at a sushi place? I mean you yeah. Eat fish. I like fish, so I like Okay. Yeah, it's it's not a problem, but I just couldn't mm-hmm. sweet it today, but I was so sad. I but know. I know. But I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow because I'm taking pictures at the bridal shower. Yep. Get intern at the bridal shower. Do you know the song? <laughs> no. Do you know? There's a song called um, Martinelli's. Oh, okay. yeah. I still don't know. Okay, what okay. It is, We're going to play I know, it for you. I know what Martinelli's is oh, in terms of it's the drink. It's like one of the best songs. <laughs> You'll have to I've play it heard. tomorrow. I'll, def- I'll play it at the bridal shower. Potentially. I don't know. I just I'm gave just you approval and I don't know you what did. the song You're is. Not so wait, there's one other thing we need to oh, um, yeah. what are we talking force about? you into, Maddie. Oh. At your wedding, we have 
two song requests for your reception. Oh, yes. Okay. It's for Nessa Rose. Just to add another layer, yes. layer on it. Then yes. <laughs> Anything for Nessa Rose. Done. We need the chicken dance play, Oh, of course. Because she's practicing. Well, yeah. Yeah. And then Baby Shark because she also practices oh. that one. And she I has wonder like if there's a, a one like Do you think there's like a, a chicken dance Baby Shark remix? I hope so. If Ooh. it's that, then. Well, I know. I, <laughs> uh, I, I imagine. I think the chicken dance was played at previous weddings that we've yes, gone to for the thing. family. Oh. So it, it'll, it'll be played. Wow. We'll be it gets everybody excited. out on the dance. It's one of those songs that gets everybody yeah, out yeah. on the dance floor. So yeah. it's like, okay, let's do that it. That like the Cupid Shuffle. Yeah. That's such There's a long song. There's one right song. now. Is it? Wait, is the Cupid? Sh- I think it is the Cupid Shuffle. Are, do you ever watch TikTok videos? <laughs> I don't understand them. You and your obsession. Okay, with we talked about it last podcast. But okay, like, I do have a little obsession with t- TikTok. <laughs> There's a moth on the wall. I keep looking at it. Don't kill it. I don't kill bugs. That's a thing. Did you know that about That's me? Disgusting. I mean, I do kill roaches and because they're gross. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> There's like a, they do like an exercise and it's like they do a whole workout with the oh yeah shuffle with push-ups and stuff. It's crazy. It's hard. I'll never do that. Have you done that at your workout class? Um, I think they tried to once and we all just went, no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> we can force that. We can force but that. we're good. <laughs> no, thank you. It was like a bonus round and none of us did Oh my gosh. The gym's gross anyway, so. <laughs> well, as always, it's so good to have these conversations with you. I'm Sarah. I'm Maddie. I'm Liz. Have a nice day. See you later. Bye. Bye.